Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Leah Zahavi Asa, here with today my co-host. Michael Unterberg. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Good. Uh, your voice is a little hoarse from all your uh, birthright tour guiding. Yes, it's been quite the last 10 days, um, so I apologize. My voice is a little bit hoarse. It's been strained. No, it's very uh, a lot. <laughs> Brenda Vaccaro for people who are, nobody's my age that listens to this. So that was a totally useless reference, but uh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Hopefully it sounds kind of nice on this audio. Mm-hmm. So today uh, we have a very, very special guest. Do you want to introduce her? Sure. It's my pleasure. Emily Schrader is the CEO and founder of Social Light Creative, a columnist with the Jerusalem Post, and host of Headlines with the Haddads. She is an award-winning social media content creator and strategist, and has worked as an advisor and consultant to the Israeli government, the IDF, and numerous public officials. Emily also lectures internationally about anti-Semitism in Israel, and is based in Tel Aviv. And she's here today to talk to us about the role of social media in recent news stories. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. I think it's, I'm so happy that we got you because I think it's such an important topic to talk about, especially um, kind of what we've been experiencing over the last two weeks and obviously more than that. But specifically, um, we decided to to talk to someone like you um, after a, a big incident that took place um, with the killing of Shireen in Janine two weeks ago and the uncertainty and questions about the facts of the case and um so we wanted to bring you on to talk about kind of your experience also reporting but also in the social media in the era of social media social media world how we view the conflict how we experience the conflicts it's something it's a question that we have our students asking and talking about all the time um and so we we're happy that you're here to talk as a professional about this topic so uh that's kind of broad. You basically just asked me about the entire conflict on social media. So no, no small, no small task to explain about all of that, but I'll start with Shireen. Well, we'll give you like three minutes to answer. So don't worry. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, when it comes to Shireen, I mean, as I'm sure it's not, you know, news to you, Obviously, this is a very tragic incident. It's not something that Israel or the Palestinians wanted. Um, But when it comes to how it was reported on social media and the narrative of the entire situation, what we saw is a little bit more extreme version of what we've seen over time, increasingly more extreme on social media. And that is that people are no longer driven by what the actual facts are of the case, of any case in this conflict. Um, it's 110% emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. Whatever narrative they have locked onto, whatever narrative their friends within social media even are believing, that is what they will go forward with. And much, much even academic research has been done about how people are surrounding themselves uh, digitally with people who agree with them. They're mm-hmm. in bubbles. Uh, They're not exposed to alternative perspective or alternative ideas. Um, And I think this is part of the the result of that, that we see that there are a lot of people very angry and upset about things that just aren't the case, that just haven't been proven. Mm -hmm. And in the case of of Shireen, we still don't know who's responsible for her death. 
Um, I think the thing that was most frustrating for me about what we saw on social media is that a lot of people were, even people who are members of Congress and celebrities, people with huge followings and some news sources, um, were claiming that she was murdered, Mm -hmm. that she was executed, and that she was assassinated. Now, all of these words require intent. And there is no intent, as far as we know, in the death of Shireen Abu Akhla. So I think it's completely irresponsible for anybody who has any significant following to be spreading this information, because this is a very tense conflict. And the things that we see online and the way that we talk about it does and has and will lead to violence. But people aren't being careful enough with the things that they say. And, you know, people say, oh, it's free speech. I can say whatever I want. You can. doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can yell fire in a crowded movie house, but that's going to hurt people. Yeah. Right. So you have to have to be responsible about the kind of information that you're putting out. And the media, fortunately, on this case has been almost as bad. I mean, CNN also had a report later uh, mm-hmm. claiming that uh, that new evidence shows that the IDF is responsible for the death of Sherry. And the new evidence was that they interviewed someone who is a known anti-Israel, uh, I don't know if activist is the right word, but for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. activist, who has been documented lying about incidents like this in the past before, uh, who claims that they saw that the IDF killed her. That's their evidence. That's all of it. Not a video. It's not a testimony from, you know, a soldier or someone. No, that's their evidence. So the... the, the well, they also journalistic... claimed they had some forensic... Car... They, they looked at the records and it looked like a corroborated story, but that also was very shaky and flimsy. Yeah, and uh, there was also someone that. who said the opposite. Yeah. There was, was also a forensic analysis that said the opposite. So the truth is we just don't know. Right. We just don't know yet. And I'm not going to... I wouldn't put this on the Palestinians or Israel at this point, um, but I am fairly certain and as in like 99.9% sure that in neither case was this a murder. And this type of language just exacerbates the tensions between the two. And, you know, the people online, they don't have to deal with the result on the ground. They don't have to deal with the, the terrorist attacks against Jews or, uh, or violence with Palestinians. We do. <laughs> We're the ones on the ground who have to deal with it. So it's a huge problem how we talk about these issues on social media and the media does play a part, and they have not done their job. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to start off on such an uplifting <laughs> note. <laughs> no. But I think that's exactly right, and that's something that Mike and I have been talking about a lot, and, and just as educators talk about in our kind of and reflecting in our classes and understanding how how we talk about this and how we educate our students to sort of navigate for themselves the social media world. Um, and one of the things that I think we were talking about, I guess it was a few weeks ago, um, is this idea that fact, I mean, facts aside, right? Because like you're saying, we're two, we're two weeks later, over two weeks later, and still it's not clear. And yet people who, um, people who are pro-Israel, like students that I have, for example, that are really like, they live in Israel, they're pro-Israel, or maybe not live in Israel, but they visited here before they're connected. Um, given the little information that they have seen from, let's say this specific case, it's 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 enough to make them say, well, yeah, Israel's not perfect and look what they are doing. Right. So, for example, there was that video um, that I think was taken from different points of view. So one video that you can see that it was the 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 uh, funeral, one video where the you can see the Israeli police um, trying to kind of disrupt and, and, and pull down 
or or kick kick down the um, casket. And then on the other, another video that I I specifically watched was the the same thing except there was rocks rocks throwing. You could see rocks being thrown in that case scenario. So for example, at the police, our students at the police, yeah, our students are not going to spend 15 hours now researching all the different documentations that there is. So when you see that, and that's the video that's getting put out there, or even just like a tweet or a comment or whatever it is, it's almost, one of the things that Mike and I were, were talking about or debating about was like, it's almost not relevant in some ways, the fact, because what's happening is that a specific factor, a specific video or a specific story is being told. And even someone who is, loves Israel, is connected to Israel, will say, ah, oh, well, yeah, you see, like, this is what, this is, we're also committing crimes kind of thing. Um, even without all the, all the information or the other side of the camera point, camera's point of view, if you will. Yeah, no, I think this is one of the problems that I, I sort of referenced earlier that the, today everything is driven by emotions. And when you see a 30 second clip that shows something that looks terrible at a funeral, then that's, the story. It doesn't matter what the facts are anymore. Of right. course, we want to encourage people to investigate the facts before they open their mouths. Unfortunately, I don't think that's a realistic expectation on either side today. I really don't. Yeah. Um, Meaning you see it on the pro-Israel side also, this sort of emotional, yes. manipulative. Yes. Well, yes. within hours of the journalists being killed, Israel released, <clears throat> different organizations in Israel released this video of the Palestinian shooters in Janin, you know, firing wildly and yelling, we hit someone. And, you know, as if to persuade people that it was probably the Palestinians who killed the journalist. When in fact, that video was from like blocks away. I was very disappointed that... Yeah, I mean, there are several videos that were released from different uh, angles within the vicinity. Mm -hmm. um, this this video was released, and I think it was B'Tselem after that said that it was like wasn't the same incident. It was the same incident, but it wasn't the same. Different that location. wasn't the shooting right. that killed them. Why that video clip was important wasn't because they killed her or didn't kill her. Mm -hmm. um, it was important because um, they claim, uh, sorry, Al Jazeera claimed that there was no Palestinians firing at all. The only mm -hmm. people who fired weapons were the IDF forces. So that is why that video in the whole narrative of the story becomes important because they, the initial video wasn't released by the IDF. It was footage released by a Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Right. So they released footage of themselves shooting guns right. in the vicinity of the attack. That, and that was the conflict with the IDF. It was not the conflict in which Shirin Abu Akhtar was killed. And that is um, relevant yeah. to, it is relevant to understanding the day, but as a particular fact, as one datum, not as, and what it went around on social media, and I don't know exactly, and this is what you're talking about, how it just gets manipulated yes. for emotional spin rather than truthful clarity. It became, yes. oh, you see, it's probably the Palestinians who shot her without yes. checking to see. So, so I agree, no, I, basically I'm just agreeing with you that you see this problem it's not just a anti-Israel problem that uses misuses social media for emotional propaganda rather than, you know, establishing truth. It's 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 all around. Yeah, and also not just with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, right? But of course, this conflict is one of the hottest on social media. So you get a lot of a lot of craziness online as a result of that. Um, in regards to the funeral, um, I disappointed in how the the Israeli police behaved. 
I think that it were was... Were you surprised? I understand you were disappointed. Were you surprised? I don't know. I guess I was surprised at mm. how foolish they were in mm. handling the situation. Like, you know that going into... You know that going into this, it's a very tense time. Mm -hmm. It's a very controversial issue. We don't know all the facts of what happened. And this is the part that wasn't on social media, that the funeral route was coordinated with the family. They mm -hmm. coordinated with the IDF. The EU ambassador and the family uh, requested that the protesters who were there not take the casket themselves. They wanted it to go in the hearse in a vehicle. They so wanted it to be a, a family, yeah, not a political thing. They wanted it to be, yeah. Uh... So there was a conflict that ensued that there wasn't, you know, a video of. Um, and then the Israeli police, who were present because they were accompanying the uh, uh, funeral route that they had coordinated, um, got attacked by Palestinian protesters who were throwing rocks, and then they responded. Now. I'm not a policeman. I don't know what the security procedure is. I don't know where they needed to be and when and why. But as an outsider, to me, it seems like this should have been planned much, much better, especially given that they know there's going to be protests. There's probably going to be riots. And yes, mm -hmm. if Israeli police are present, even if that's their job and that's where they're supposed to be, and they coordinated with the family, then they should have prepared for that. Mm -hmm. They should never, it should never have gotten to the point where, where you know, there's footage of them hitting someone who's carrying a casket, even though we know after the fact, of course, that some of the people who are carrying the casket are people who literally took the casket mm -hmm. from the family because they wanted to uh, to carry it themselves. So they were they were politicizing it. They were in the wrong. But again, in the in the war of narratives, it doesn't matter because Israel didn't handle it the way that they should have. It's unprofessional policing. And I, I do have yeah. some experience working in the police and uh not in, not in Israel, but uh, that it, I, the reason I was disappointed but not surprised is I, I don't think there's a I think there's a very low degree of professionalism in Israeli police. I, I find that their behavior is because because one of the main principles of professional policing is de-escalation of any situation, and I find Israeli police often act like you know, when you get into a fender bender here in Israel and people just get out of the car and they're all buffing out their chest and yelling. I see a lot of that kind of toxic masculinity out of Israeli police. So yeah, I agree with you completely. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the biggest issues. It's a huge in, issue. In the, yeah. It's a yeah. huge problem. And in it's a civil internal society. and external. Yep. Because we have, of course, we have issues uh, within Israel is like for instance like the crime in the Arab sector mm -hmm, they're not handling mm -hmm. this well so don't even get me started on how they handle sexual assault mm -hmm, um, yeah, it's mm -hmm. an absolute train wreck but but I think for like my job and what I do and what right. I write about it's a uh, it's a huge issue internationally too because it affects how we're perceived and there's a lack of understanding about that um, and you're right, a lack of professionalism, especially in incidents like this. And it's so important because, I mean, look, people are still talking about it and it's weeks yeah. later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be some, like they have to step up in how they are um, handling themselves and how they present themselves. And I know uh, the IDF has actually been forced to do this a little bit more. And mm -hmm. I would say that it's, it's, if you think about it, it's crazy because the police are professional, right? They're older. It's an actual job. But the IDF behaves much better mm -hmm. in situations like this. And they're 18-year-old kids. 
So it can be done. And I do think that that there needs to be reform on that front, for sure. Do you, and I, I guess this is a leading question, but do you think that part of the reason that, I, I fear that Israelis at a certain point are just like, well, we don't care what the world thinks because we get so mm. much negative feedback that we get it. Everyone's just lying about us. Nobody cares about us. So we don't care about what they think about anything. And so there's this sort of this Israeli dismissal that it even matters that the world understands our side of the story. Um, I have seen that a few times in Israelis, but I have to say that by and large, I think Israelis care a lot, mm. a lot. I think that there's a, a, like a gap that's missing there. They don't understand how to speak about mm -hmm. Israel. They don't understand. They don't have all the answers. And like you, like you said, you know, a student isn't going to spend 15 hours researching one specific mm -hmm. issue. They go with, you know, the little information that they have and what comes easier. That's the natural human instinct. Um, and I think it's the same for a lot of Israelis. They're, they don't feel comfortable explaining complex situations to people. Um, so they don't bother because it's, they feel like, you know, the odds are too much against them. But when it comes to like, do they care? Yes. Is mm. for sure. Mm. Israelis care for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hasbara like internally in Israel is also a big issue. I'm focused internationally facing because English is my first language as well, but also inside Israel, this is a, this is a hot issue. Mm. Definitely. Mm. I, I think one of the one of the videos that I have shown my my class this this year specifically um, was um, John Oliver, who did a whole segment on uh, on what happened last year and uh, the war and everything like that. And one of the things that he first of all I'll say that when I show this to my class, a lot of my class doesn't see a, any like they they really like the video actually. Um, they're like, well, yeah, he makes up, well, he makes a lot of good points and a lot of important points. And one of the things that uh, I I cringe when i see it is when he shows um the like he, there's a before and after like there's a meme that's like before and after with this like little girl's face i think um and she's like looking looking backwards and it's before and it's this big tower in in gaza in gaza and it's before and the tower was up and it's after and the tower is destroyed right and so john oliver makes a whole commentary on it and says um well great like this is great to meme a war crime Right. And he's like very, you know, uh, yeah. emotional and, and upset about it. Um, and I think and, and every time I see it, because obviously I watch it a lot uh, with my class. But every time I see it, I think about I think about this, like what you're saying about this desire for Israel and or for the IDF, because it's an IDF meme to get on the social media narrative train. Right. Like, OK, well, this is what you're posting. And then we're going to, you know, then we're going to also post and we're going to utilize whether it's memes, whether it's tweets, whether it's whatever is hot right now to, to sort of prove our point. But then it almost seems like when we do that, we dig ourselves into a deeper hole. I think it's very difficult for, and I can't speak for them, but I think it's very difficult for the IDF itself because when you are the body that has to, that is obligated to carry out uh, force, to use force, mm -hmm. you're, in the, you're at a disadvantage in terms of the narrative already. Um, and I think that mostly the IDF has done a pretty good job explaining what they need to do when and why mostly. And I would say that they have a bigger challenge than I think any other country <laughs> in the world in terms of explaining and also the spotlight, how much they're scrutinized for it. I do think that there have been mistakes in how they have presented things. I'm a big fan of using social media, of utilizing whatever's out there, including memes, including whatever. But when it comes to like having to use force, there needs to be an acknowledgement and an understanding 
across the board and all the content that they put out that this is a life and death situation for many mm -hmm. people. So that needs to be respected in a way. Um, and things need to be done not in poor taste. And mm -hmm. there have been a few things that have been done in poor taste and that's bound to happen on social media um, here and there. But it you can't really make those mistakes <laughs> when you're the IDF. So yeah, it's not, not the best. Uh, They're not, it's not, not a, the it, best. You're right that the soldiers are college kids, but the spokespeople should be acting like mature professionals and not, mm -hmm. I get that memes are catchy, but there, you know, there's a way that, to me, what always frustrates me as the blurring of categories. In other words, why are we listening to John? Why would a serious person watch John Oliver to understand and unpack the news? John Oliver is not a journalist. He's a comedian who has a knee-jerk set of reactions because of his political orientation and the bubble that he lives in. And you could watch it if it entertains you. I, I, I actually don't find it entertaining because I don't need some comedian yelling at me about how horrible the world is. I go to journalists to find out how horrible the world is, and it's a much clearer picture, and I don't need the stupid snide jokes. And, and, and as a society, we kind of live in this mush where there's the media. So, oh, John Oliver made an argument. What do I, 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 and this is part of what uh, earlier Leah alluded to arguments that, that we have about this. I think that media literacy is so important to teach our students that there's a difference between a comedian going on. There's something different about Bella Hadid posting on social media. And there's something different when you go to a news source. Now, journalism is not a perfect tool to, to, to view the world. You were talking about CNN horribly distorting a story earlier. So journalism has its particular set of problems, but it's still the place in the world that's our best shot at going to people who are trying to get you accurate information, at least in theory. And it's categorically different than looking at memes or John Oliver or Susan Sarandon saying that Israeli snipers shot a journalist. Like, Susan Sarandon? And, yeah. and I, why do I, we care? Who, <laughs> I, I, and congratulations on your Oscar in 1990 or whatever it was. Like, I, I, why do I... Like, and I, I, I still think, and, and, and you can, you can comment or, or not. This is a debate that, that Liel and I have some t from time to time. I, 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 as an educator, and maybe it's because I'm so freaking old. I, as an educator, think it's really important to teach media literacy of explaining, you know, guys, you have to be different than those people who are only swayed by emotion. You have to understand categorically. You have to be able to weigh sources of information and, and weigh bias and interpret and be a critical thinker. What I mean, I, get, yeah. I agree. Obviously, I agree with you about the critical thinking issue. I think it's something that's lacking when it comes to understanding the whole conflict, whether online or otherwise. Um, and I do think media literacy is important, but I'm probably going to disagree with you in that I think that a lot of the journalists no longer try to be what we used to think of journalism as. Even yeah. like Shirin Abu Akha is a great example. Shirin Abu Akha was known for being exceptionally biased against Israel. She always was. And she sure. was a very accomplished journalist with a credible, depending on who you ask, <laughs> a credible news source, Al Jazeera, for many years. So there's a problem even within press. Uh, BBC has had a couple of scandals just with anti-Semitism, like straight up anti-Semitism, uh, not course. Israel bias, anti-Semitism. Um, you, you know, we just talked about the report that happened from CNN and BBC, CNN, Al Jazeera, those are all considered 
mainstream, credible news sources. Mm -hmm. And in some places and some stories, some regards, they do excellent reporting, excellent coverage. But on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's very, and I think this is one of our biggest challenges, it's very difficult to get accurate information, no matter, even if it's coming from the media, because the media leaves out a lot of the, a lot of information as well. For instance, in the Sheikh Jarrah conflict, which I guess is still ongoing, but last May, one of the triggers for the, for the last operation, um, nobody reported that Sheikh Jarrah was basically an ongoing court case, which by the way, at the end, they didn't even evict them. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about how this is something that had been going on for 10 plus years and that negotiations have been made and offers have been made and the Palestinians had actually accepted and then they decided not to. And then nobody reported about the story of what actually happened in the facts of the case. All they talked about is Israel kicking Palestinians out of their, their homes, which again, as I said, didn't happen. So and, there's and, and no that, question. And that, and that journal- came from the media. From Well, I, I, I prefer uh, what I do with students is I stop using the word media because media can mean, you know, Dr. Mm. Strange and the multiverse of madness is part of the media. I, I talk about journalism and then we talk about how to use journalism responsibly when it is a deeply imperfect tool. It is a problematic way to understand the world. It's the first draft of history. In its rush to get things fast, it's going to get lots of things wrong. In its business need to get out things that are violent and shocking and and, and outrage, it's going to distort and confuse stories. And prevailing narratives are going to control, especially how a story about Israel in particular. But that's it's true of any story. When I read a story about Ukraine, I think... Okay, I see how they report on Israel. How accurate are they on Ukraine? And how, you know, I always have to view everything. You have to be a critical thinker when you use journalism, but it's still categorically different. And, 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 and so I, I think training somebody, but, but honestly, but Instagram, that I do not get to to understand the world around me. I get to to look at funny jokes from comedians or previews of what's going to be on this week's episode of the podcast, whatever podcast, but, it, but it's, I, I understand. And and honestly, if I really want to see what happened today, I wait 20 years and read how the best historians have unpacked it. And they, too, have trouble. And we end up in this. I, I can't live, though, in this postmodern, cynical. Well, nobody ever knows whatever happens anywhere, any ever. So let's just live in our ignorance and live on our emotional, you know, surf ride of these images make me feel this. So I'm going to like that's I still believe in in, in the enlightenment principles that created you know, democracy and freedom and and, and with all the problems created by Western culture, I still think we've lived unprecedentedly better lives than in the past. And I'm not willing to give up on the love of and the search for truth and, 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 and the critical reasoning by which to establish truth. And I also, and I realize I'm rambling at this point, but, but just to make one more comment, I think Al Jazeera is a journalistic entity with a very strong bias because of where it's located. If I, if on 9-11, I wouldn't go to Al Jazeera to read, I, I would go, actually go to see what they say, but I wouldn't take it as the best explanation of the story because they're coming sure. from a particular region. I would actually, as problematic as the New York Times is, it wasn't as bad then as it is today. But I think the New York Times was probably going to be some of the best reporting on the impact of 9-11 because they were at ground zero. And similarly, on Israel stories, why would I think the BBC would get that story right? What the hell do they know? They send in somebody who's visited and, and sits in, you know, cafes in Jerusalem and talks to people. Like, they're not the best people to explain what's going on in Israel. Israeli journalists are the best people. And and they, too, have their problems. So 
the fact that we can never get to absolute truth is frustrating, but to give up on the search, I think would be devastating. No, I agree with you. I don't think that giving up is a solution, but I think that people need to understand that everyone has a bias, even the media. Of course. So the blurring of categories that you're talking about, I would say it's too late, but that doesn't mean that people can't still think critically and examine multiple sources. And yes, they can watch John Oliver and they can also pay attention to what's happening in the news and they can also listen to other, you know, influencers or academics or, um, or journalists from Israel who are telling the story from a different perspective. I think that pursuing perspectives different than your own is something that's sorely lacking on social mm -hmm. media in general, mm -hmm. also because of the way that they develop the algorithms. And I think that that is maybe one of the modern answers to the problem that, that we're having, the problem that we're seeing on social media. Because like you said, it, it's journalism is important, but it's also an imperfect tool. So even if you're only looking at journalism, you need to look at multiple sources. You need to pursue, and you said, I would watch Al Jazeera to see what they're saying. Yeah. When the whole thing with Russia started, with Russia and Ukraine, the first thing I did was watch RT mm -hmm. because I wanted to see how they were reporting, which was ridiculous. Ridiculous. But, They're crazy. <laughs> but uh, that's unabashed. They are unabashed, like liars. Like it's just amazing. I know. I know. And they and and on their English channel too, like the like. They're talking oh, that's where about I look. this, I look trying at their to English excuse stuff, yeah. the fact that they just invaded a sovereign country. Like, I can't. I yeah. can't. I, I like couldn't stop watching it because I was so fascinated at how yeah. everything they're saying is like the opposite of reality. It was crazy. Yeah, we're we're in Orwell's Orwell's uh, some of Orwell's predictions are are, are are realistic. Well, so one thing based on what we were just saying, one thing that I was um, thinking about it was this, I guess, frustration from that I feel from my students and just in general people that I work with, um, that they don't trust. There's an internal, very, very strong internal feeling of just a lack of trust in uh, journalism, a lack of trust in any kind of news sources that they're getting. And I get, always get questions. Where do I get my news? Where do I get my news? Where do I get my updates? Where do I? And I'm, in all honesty, running out of um, sources to provide for them because I'm not sure where, um, where the best news sources for them are. Obviously, you know, saying to them, read, read, you know, whatever's coming out of Al Jazeera, read whatever's coming out from the Israeli journalists and understand, you know, understand what the narratives that they're both creating. That's, that's something that I, that I will share and I will say and I will encourage, but also at the same time, that takes time, that takes effort, that takes mm -hmm. also having some kind of background in understanding the general conflict. And I'm talking about people who really don't necessarily have a lot of the fundamental basics to, to understand what the heck even you know these journalists are talking about so um so one of the things that i've actually started doing um is referring people and i'm, I'm not sure i'm not sure if this is right or wrong but i think it's it's the right direction at least um referring people to certain instagram accounts of of young people who are speaking sort of like the instagram language and they're not posting tweets what they're doing or sorry not tweets it means what they're doing is writing um in i guess it's in, not infographics or maybe it's kind of like a slider exactly levels. that's yeah. what it is right the slider the sliding explainers um giving people giving people the people who create are creating this content know exactly who their audience is and their audience i feel very much is are my students for people who again don't have this background they need the basics of the basics but they need the basics of the basics in a very 
summarized, concise way, as well as having having a way to explain how it's affecting today, right? So they do, in these slider explainer Instagram posts, they'll explain sort of some of the fundamentals and they'll say, and that's why today XYZ is happening. As if, as if someone, you know, was almost as if someone was talking to them face-to-face and giving them sort of like a, I don't know, four-minute version of an answer to their question. Um, and so that's something that I started referring people to. Um, I feel co- conflicted about it because on one hand, it really isn't journalism. On the And, and it's also just the Instagram world and and uh, and, and very sum- summarized information. And on the other hand, I think it's very valuable. Like, I do think that it works. I read this stuff and I'm impressed and I... And I, I get it. Like, I, I'm like, oh, well, this, this is exactly the way we should be teaching. Because if the world today is, is not the world, well, the generation of, of the social media today is not going to rely and not going to trust this journalist and not going to trust the, the news sources. Um, but they're always on Instagram and they're always on TikTok and they're always on whatever it is. And by the way, forget Israeli, you know, the Israeli and Palestinian conflict. Just in general, the amount of information that people are learning via TikTok that I'm, I'm learning about this only recently is wild. People are on there talking about either posting, you know, their whatever, a minute and a half, two minute little spiels about whatever it is, just giving people information. Um, and so on one hand, everyone's become a journalist. Everyone's become a reporter. Everyone's become the uh, uh, professional in whatever it is, whatever information they're trying to provide. And on the other hand... On the other hand, there's, I feel like there's, there's some, there is something good about it. There's like an openness to uh, following these types of people and, and, and guess getting very summarized, but valuable inf- information that on one hand is personalized. And maybe that's not so, like, it's not uh, peer reviewed in any way. And that's maybe not such a great thing. And on the other hand, um, it speaks much more to the people that I'm, that I'm teaching and working with. So, so I don't know. Is, I guess my question is: Is that is that also? Do you think that that's also part of a future that we see in terms of information and media? For sure, for sure. I think that's a yeah. part of what we see, what we've already seen. Um, and I agree with you about both the pluses and the minuses of that. Like sometimes people have criticized me and said, "Well, oh well, you're biased." Of course, I'm biased. <laughs> Everyone is biased. I'm an Israeli who lives in Israel. Yes, I'm biased. Does that mean I think Israel is always right? No, of course not. And like in the things that I'm putting forward, I'm trying to sometimes not even say who who is right. I will tell you, honestly, I don't think Israel handled Sheikh Jarrah well. Mm-hmm. I think that there's lots of things they could have done better. I disagree with things that my country does all the time. Um, but I think that the way that that story is told, especially on social media, the Sheikh Jarrah story, and also Shirin Abu Akram most recently, isn't accurate. And so I'm trying to bring a little bit more nuance to that. Does that mean Israel is right? No. (laughs) Israel could still be responsible for it. But there is a part of the story that's missing. And that's something that, and perhaps this is my bias, but it's something that I haven't seen with a lot of anti-Israel influencers or activists on social media. I don't see that they're trying to uh, represent more facts in a situation. I don't see a lot of um, balance. I see a lot of emotion, a lot of digital screaming. (laughs) Um, I see a a lot of tolerance for more extreme rhetoric than I've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean that there are several major influencers, people like Muhammad al-Kurd, for example, Mm -hmm. who the things that they're saying and the way that they're saying it are explicit support for violence. Yeah. Yeah. 
their explicit support for violence, their um, not only incorrect, but intentionally inflammatory. And this type, this approach, this anti-normalization and anti-peace approach, there's nothing to be gained from it. Certainly not on our side. And I'm sorry to say it, but even more on the Palestinian mm -hmm. side. Because every time there's a conflict, where are there more casualties? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, And also even in the Intifada. If you look at the numbers of the Intifada, much more Palestinians died in the Intifada. Now, the yes, Palestinians it was always end up suffering some more. Of them, yeah. yeah, exactly. A lot of it was in clashes or in attempted terror attacks or uh, fine. But at the end of the day, more Palestinians died. And that's what happens every time they start engaging in violence. So this tolerance um, that is growing even in the West for what they call the language of resistance mm -hmm. is toxic. It's toxic uh, for them. It's not adding nuance. It's not increasing dialogue. It's not increasing understanding. It's extremism. Um, and I'm very, very concerned about that. You know, I'm sure that there are some activists who lean, you know, on the anti-Israel side who are trying to provide more accurate information I haven't seen it. <laughs> Maybe I'm not in the same bubbles. Like I said, that's possible. But um, but I've looked and I haven't really seen it. I've seen a lot of really uh, well done storytelling about things that happen in Israel. Um, and I've seen people putting together uh, videos of, you know, interesting, uh, interesting, sad situations that certain Palestinians are in. But then they never explain why mm -hmm. why that happened in the first place. I saw a video a few days ago of one of the terrorists who attempted to blow up something. I don't remember where the incident was exactly. And she injured her nose and now she's in prison and she's petitioning for Israel to pay for the cosmetic surgery mm -hmm. to fix her nose. Now, the story that I saw was this guy talking about how it's so terrible that Israel doesn't want to provide proper medical care for her and she's in pain. Never mind the fact that this procedure is cosmetic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not that it's not important, but this procedure is mm -hmm. cosmetic. And that it happened because she accidentally blew up a bomb on herself that she meant to bomb other people with. Like, there are a lot of innocent Palestinians suffering. And I don't think that's a great example of it. <laughs> but nobody explains that. And, and mm -hmm. honestly, like, whether we do things like this, like selective storytelling or they do it, it damages the cause. On both sides, it damages the argument because you're, you're not being honest about, about the full situation here. It's so zoomed in to I the point that you're out of detail and that you don't understand the story. Yeah. You've excluded yeah, the relevant exactly. facts. Exactly. And what you're arguing is always establish the relevant facts as clearly and honestly as you can and then engage in the debate. And the debate is valid. But if yeah. you skip that first step, then the debate is 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 toxic because it's just venting emotional outrage instead of or the the phrase i always use i always say this uh i, I call it uh more light less heat and that makes for makes for a better discussion you have more yeah. light shed more light bring less heat and you will have a much better conversation and like you say there are things to debate about israeli policy but the reason those storytellers tell those stories is because they they leave this implication afterwards, this Palestinian person is suffering. There, and then here's the implication: Israel's terrible. Yeah, is exactly. It, is that true? Is that is that really what it is, or, or or is it more complicated than that? And of course, it's more complicated than that. And and I agree with you. Israelis often do the same thing. 
you know, this terror victim story, which is a terrible story. And, and I do think these stories matter. I do think they're facts that should be heard and listened to on both sides. But then you have to put them into the bigger context to wrestle with them, honestly. Yeah. 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 It's not an easy, it's not an easy ask, especially for people who aren't, you know, activists. But mm-hmm. um, when it comes to this conflict, you have to. And, and you know, I also want to add that a lot of people will say, well, the what about the where do you get the sources where do you get the sources and you said correctly that the news oftentimes the news is is an imperfect source it's Mm -hmm. important but it's an imperfect source i always encourage people to try to get as close to the original sources as they can Mm -hmm. and by original sources i mean like when it comes to debating what the what happened in gaza with the al jazeera building for example Mm -hmm. i would if even if i was an anti-israel person I would first examine what the IDF themselves said, mm-hmm. what information they put out, what information they provided, what the Israeli government said. And yes, of course, there's going to be a bias because it's the Israeli government, right. but you still need to read it. You still mm-hmm. need to consider what this side said the same way that we need to consider what the Palestinian side said. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot, of, a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's from, it's from Israel, it's from the IDF, I'm not going to believe it why you should still consider it you don't have to take everything as you know absolute truth be skeptical be mm-hmm. skeptical but you do need to consider it yeah you're, i think that's the key that to me that's the key difference considering versus believing and i think people are uh, inherently inherently assume that oh, okay well this you know this journal said this or this you know source said this i have to believe it it has to be true but the cons- the, the difference between that and then considering it's sort of bringing the responsibility upon the reader upon the student yeah. and saying, okay, it's your responsibility. You can consider all these facts. At the end of the day, you don't have to believe any of them. Don't give up. Consider. And the tool, yeah. I would argue, to that considering, to make that considering work is critical thinking. To be yeah. able to analyze and weigh and judge using your own brain and identifying what the bias is and, and using your, sometimes even, sometimes it's instinctive, but often it's not. It's thinking it through. It's this... The, the, I, I still think we should be promoting, and I, uh, this I'm sure we all agree, we should be teaching our students how to be critical thinkers. Because in, in an age of information overflow, that's our best set, that's our best tool set. And I yeah. think we should be explicit about it. Yep. I actually did see a really interesting tweet from, I think it's, a, I think she's a journalist. Uh, and one of somebody who's influential in like Arabic circles. She tweeted something in English after Shirin Abu Akhla, and this is a person who opposes Israel 110%. But she said, like, listen, it's really bad what happened, but, and this is the only nuanced tweet that I saw about this issue. It's really bad that this happened, but, like, think for a second, what on earth would Israel have to gain from doing something like this? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't make sense if you think about it. And, and I don't mean, like, an accidental situation which you know remains to be seen if it was them or not but people are going around saying israel murdered a journalist what does israel have to gain from murdering a journalist especially an al jazeera journalist israel has a problem with al jazeera Uh and how they cover israel the last thing they want is for an al jazeera journalist to get shot in a counterterrorism operation the last thing if israel was targeting journalists Why are there so many journalists for so many years doing so much reporting on Israel, much of it making Israel look terrible, and this one journalist is the one journalist they would choose to target in this weird scenario for... Yeah, with cameras, yeah, yeah. Yep, 
it, it's it's, just, it's, it it's weird conspiratorial thinking, and it's and it's it's what you were talking about before. You you were talking about how everyone approaches with emotion, but it's also a preset emotion, which is what makes me angry about people like John Oliver. It's this I I I've already decided what are my triggers. I've identified the triggers consciously or subconsciously, and now once I'm triggered, I go. So Israel's story, I know exactly what my emotions are going to be, and I just let that carry me. It's yeah. it's look, uh, Dara Horn wrote about this. You know, the Harvard Crimson editorial board uh, supporting BDS. And she said, you read the editorial and they're saying they changed their policy from two years ago where they said they don't support BDS to now where they do because of pictures that were put up by the pro-Palestinian group during apartheid week. (laughs) Not facts, not arguments. They were struck by the artistic imagery and that really convinced them to change their mind. And she said, if that's what editors at the newspaper at Harvard you know, if, if artistic emotion is swaying their policy decisions, then there's something going wrong with, with critical thinking education in major institutions. Yeah. Same thing yeah, with, the video, with the video that I were talking about. Exactly. Yeah. It's just another mm-hmm. that that's that's why to me it always comes back to, to critical thinking education of teaching kids to be. Look, I want to buy a phone. Is there a company that makes a perfect smartphone? I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect smartphone. So now I have to look at the, and we all do this, right? We before, not, I guess we don't all because people in my family sometimes ask me, just tell me what phone to buy. I don't want to look into it. But at least some, I they buy know. IPhones and I also, I only buy iPhones, but I weigh it every time I have to, every few years when I buy a new phone, I wonder, should I, shouldn't I? And I start looking around and I make my choice. And it isn't that it's the right phone, but okay, that's how, that's how we purchase products. We have to see ourselves as consumers of information and we have to be yes. analytical and critical. We have to practice, you know, uh, 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 self-awareness in our own biases as we do it. it it's, and it's, it's a journey. And Liao, it takes time. <laughs> so when you're right, a student won't spend 15 hours researching it. Then we have to say to the student, so when you talk about it, speak about it humbly because you and post about it humbly because you didn't put fifth. Don't be like those people on social media who post reactively without understanding a story. If you didn't yeah. put in the time, yeah. Well, I think it's less about them posting. I think they're afraid to post. Specifically, the people that I'm talking about, they're yeah, yeah, afraid yeah. to post. They're just they're mostly consumers as opposed to you know um, anything else. But they're what they're consuming is they're in a way all already sold on it. For example, your iPhone. I like your iPhone analogy because let's be honest. I don't think. Most iPhone users that I know are not going back to anything else. They're sold on to Oh, iPhone. that's such a good um, twist so, in the analogy, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're sold. Like, I'm, And I'm one of them, for sure. I'm in the ecosystem. So I'm, I'm I just stick to it and to don't it. analyze it, yeah. Right. And I think that's a core piece of what um, what I'm experiencing from the students. It's like they're already sold on whatever it is. I had a student. Oof, um, she was a former student of mine. Um, I, 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 she goes to law school in D.C., uh, and I saw her last year and I saw her last year a week after I think everything uh, calmed down in Israel, um, the operation and everything. And she said, I just don't understand why Israel and she is somebody who is very pro-Israel, very connected to her Jewish identity. She's been to Israel multiple times. Um, she's like, I just don't understand why Israel would blow up a big building in Gaza, a big residential building in Gaza. I just don't understand it. And Correct. she's a law student in D.C. And I was like, I. I I was you don't understand speechless. it. You also, was, how much time have you put trying to understand? She's someone it. who reads. She's a someone who reads. She reads the news. She reads, you know, art, news. So articles, how did she do such a bad job? Because she sold on the iPhone. <laughs> I guess you're right. 
In short, Liela's being paid by Android today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll take the sponsorship, this, Emily. This We're not proud. Sponsored by Android. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do. It. I have no self-respect. I will. If Android wants to give me money, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I saw the analogy that way. Because every time I buy a new iPhone every four years or whatever, I look to see is somebody for three hundred dollars less making me a better phone in another company, and I'll switch. And I never find one, so I always just go back to. But maybe that's me. Maybe I'm a weirdo. I don't know. You're critical. You're using the critical thinking method on, on the decisions that you make in life, as opposed to just. Wow, I never thought of the analogy the other way. But you're right. It. That is what people do. They just stick to. All right. Well, Emily. You, you, anyway. Uh, yeah. Michael, go for it. No, I, I think, I think, I think you've overall agreed probably more with Liel than me. But I, but I think that what we all agree on are really the important central ideas here and 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 again i would just underline it i think this is this is if i were to distill your thesis it is establish the facts as accurately as you can before you engage in the debate is that a fair yeah yeah and i also just want to add that when it comes to like students or people who are not this isn't their main issue i don't want to discourage people from engaging or posting. I know, Liel, you mentioned that a lot of your students, like, don't, they're afraid to post something because they don't know all the facts. I don't know all the facts. Mm -hmm. I don't know everything. I spend a lot of time researching and speaking to people and writing and reading reports. So maybe I know more than some people about these issues, but I don't know everything about it. And things change very quickly as well, especially mm -hmm. in this region. So that's okay. It's okay to say, I didn't know, I didn't see I have to look into it more. I don't have the answer. All of those things are fine. What's not fine is pretending that you do when you don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I don't think anybody should be discouraged by that. There's nothing, there's no shame in saying like, listen, I don't know everything about this issue, but from what I do know, from what I've seen, this is what I think. Let me know what you think. We'll put links in the episode description, but can you just briefly tell people where to follow you? Uh, yeah. So on all platforms except Twitter, I'm Emily in Tel Aviv. Like the TV show, but not in Paris. <laughs> and and on, on Twitter, I'm Emily K. Schrader. Those are the best ways to reach me. So. Awesome. Well, Wait, thank but you don't so you have to say Emily. Emily in Tel Aviv, like Emily in Paris? Is that? No. You, no, no, mm -hmm. we don't do that. No. That would be bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I feel like this was uh, it, an amazing way to um, discuss everything that's happening right now, all the things that our students and our listeners are sort of experiencing one way or another. Um, and and all your input is incredibly helpful because you're really mm -hmm. in the heart of, of everything that's happening right now in, um, in, in social media and understanding the journalism world. So I feel I like we could have talked in. for like two more hours. but I definitely could. <laughs> There's, I definitely so much. Could yeah. There's so much. And also I'm just interested in the way you frame things. It helps me understand things much more clearly because I, I, I'm coming from a weird sort of, as an immigrant, as an older person, as an immigrant to this digital world, it's very confusing to me. And you, you really sort of helped me put things into perspective. Well, good. But I also feel like an immigrant to the digital world because I'm also getting old. And I'm like, why is everyone <laughs> on TikTok? I hate this. So, uh, it happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. No, we're, listen, we're, like you said, we're all figuring it out. And there's no shame in that. We just have to be honest in how we try to figure it out. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for having me. 
Massah Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the State of Israel. Massah offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MassahIsrael.org for more info.